Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Houston, We Have a Problem. Sorry, we got a problem. Uh, I'm your host, Kofi, along with Javia and my good friend, Rev, who's also co-host, them two, as well as we're welcoming back Ness, my good friend, and Connie, who is the wife of my brother, Jermaine, who was on the last episode. Uh, so you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Connie, tell us about yourself. Sure. Um, my name is Conscious Core. Um, I am finishing up my fourth year as a teacher in East Harlem. Uh, I have an organization called Flamingo Trauma Recovery. I always like to plug that in there because it's fairly new. Um, uh, we had a pilot program in January, and um, I'm just happy to be here, especially with the topic that we have going today. Okay. So tell us about your organization, a little bit about it. Oh, sure. So Flamingo Trauma Recovery is an organization designed to merge mental health and faith, specifically for women of color, but also underprivileged communities. So we want to eventually bring in children, um, men, specifically men of color, Black men. And the organization is structured to give a space for counseling um, over different uh, most relevant topics, relationships, codependency, um, different things. I can't like think of all of them right now. Um, we also have a culture and mental health support group to kind of unpack things that have to do with being a, a woman of color or a black woman in this society. Um, we have sessions on biblical suffering to unpack a lot of misconceptions and condemnation that is weaved into experiencing um, trauma and mental struggles as a Christian. And we do deliverance ministry. So after the program is over, the intention is to pair every woman who wants to continue therapy with a, a therapist that matches their demographic and their needs. And for those who qualify, we fund it for them for six sessions. It may be 100% of the sessions or maybe 60% of whatever they would need to pay after programming. So, uh, Nez, you want to refresh everyone about you? Um, we know that you're a life coach, correct? Yes. So I am a certified health, life, and anger resolution coach. And right now I am catering to those of us that identify as people pleasers. So I help people pleasers gain a voice, uh, learn who they are as individuals, um, connect with their feelings, emotions, and desires, and to be able to establish boundaries. However, here coming soon, I will be changing all of that. My business will be completely changed and I'll be catering to women who have experienced intimate partner violence. They've actually gotten out and they're kind of like, okay, what do I do now with all the craziness that's happened? And with my feelings. So in transition, but that is what I'm doing. I recently finished my bachelor's in applied behavioral science, uh, class of 2020, what? Through all the craze. <laughs> so I finished that and um, just kind of in transition right now. So yeah, that's where I'm at. Congratulations. Thank you. Awesome people. So there's like, I think that you two um, specifically what you what you're doing uh, in your businesses will have a lot to offer to this conversation of trauma. And one aspect of trauma that I do want to talk about is um, you ever watched a movie and there's just one actor who is like 
so good at his at his role that you hate him in everything that he's in right like for me it's uh the dude that played john walker right in the uh walking the winter soldier tv show like he played john walker so well like i hate him is there like an actor that you guys or actress that you guys see in a movie that's just horrible so I'm going to I'm going to uh, say I was just thinking about this earlier today. Um, so I've been watching Family Matters just because it gives me good feelings, you know, um, it's just oh, I just love it. But uh, the guy who played Eddie, everybody knows Eddie, right? Eddie is a good character. He's a good kid. But sometime in like I think 2009 or 2008, I saw him in a stage play and he was a bad guy. And I just, his pictures rubbed me the wrong way. When he's on like, you know, paparazzi takes pictures of him. I'm just like, mm. he, it's not the same. And it doesn't matter that Family Matters went on for seasons and, and, and we loved him. It was that one play. And I was just like, I don't know. I think, I think you might really be like that. So Yeah, it's like, you, it make you wonder, like they, they are so good at their role. Like Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Uh, everybody's seen Django. And how he played the races so well, you're like, hold on, Leo. Like, bro, are you really like that? Because you playing this a little too well. <laughs> a little too well. You know, it was another guy who had who said the end where he says it with conviction in his movies. I'm like, hold on. Like, I used to like you, bro, but you saying that a little too well. Another person that I dislike is uh, old boy from Why Did I Get Married? Like, every movie he's in, he is a buho. Ball head? Yes. Yes, dude. Like, I get traumatized in every movie. I'm like, oh, this dude about to do something. I already know he the villain. Like, me and Jay watch movies. Like, yep, he a, he a bad guy in every movie. And I'm already ready. We did that last night. We watched The Conjuring. I think the one for me, and it's kind of older, but Monique, when she played the mom in Precious, ruined it. I couldn't, I can even watch her shows anymore. Like, her talk show, I was just like, yo, you're awful. <laughs> I think so, for me, it was to be able to like tap into that somehow to be such a good actor, you know? So anyways, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's a good point. I agree. I think for me, it's Reese Witherspoon in Little Fires Everywhere. Anybody seen that show? Yes. yes. Little Fires Anywhere. Yes. I was like, ooh. <laughs> she got my blood pressure up a few times. My wife and I were sitting on the couch like, bro, she's really tearing this role up and I, I can't deal with it. So that's probably one person I could think of. Let's see. I think mine would be the guy from Ma the Madea play, the ballhead guy who played in Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Yeah. I don't know his name. I, I don't know his name, but he ran after, after that rule. He, he ruined it for me. Um, no, he can kick rocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, there's a lot of them out there, but... Uh... Yeah, they, they play their role a little too well, and, and they have to reach into some sort of well of trauma to, to portray those roles the way that they do. They're really good. They're so good that we hate them. And we identify <laughs> them in any movie. So that's, oh, so-and-so. No matter what role they're in, they're always that one person, and you can't get it out your mind. It's hilarious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so um, transitioning into the real topic at hand about trauma, I just want to do a little funny bit before we go into the heavy stuff. Uh, we've all experienced trauma of some sort in our lives, um, whether it's romantic, familial, uh, at work, or any other areas like church and stuff like that. And uh, those areas of trauma, those those moments, 
haunt us. They stay with us forever. Um, and I feel like that when those issues go unresolved, it causes us to react to certain situations uncharacteristically to where normally we're reserved and chill, but something happens and it causes a trigger and you act out of jealousy or you rage out. And sometimes you don't know why, or you do know why, but it's just like unresolved issues. Um, and what I, it made me realize uh, how much trauma starts in our lives. Well, how much trauma impacts our lives is when we talked about certain issues in our last two episodes about kingdom men. And a lot of things us men talked about, I realized like, you know what, this is because we dealt with so many unresolved issues, uh, whether it's uh, a lack of a father in the home or whether it's abuse, you know, mental, physical, uh, emotional, verbal abuse in past relationships. But there's so many areas that we just kind of brush off um, and they manifest in so many different ways. And I want to ask you guys, um, in what ways and what areas of your lives are you still dealing with trauma? Kofi, we've known each other for a long time and you've been there with me through my three marriages. So um, I have been married three times in less than eight years and it is a showing the types of relationships that I've been in are just a replication of the things that have happened to me when I was younger. You know, God is good and I've been able to really break that with this last marriage and things are completely different. However, there are things that sometimes my husband still does and it just throws me off my rocker. And then I have to come to a place where I'm like, okay, my husband is not a malicious man because there's a difference because my last two husbands were very malicious in the things that they did. They were very intentional in the things that they said and didn't say, and very sly, very abusive with their words. Um, and so it definitely still shows in my marriage that something so simple, just like, I'm like, okay, here we go. Here's the next thing I need to work on. Cause I just was ready to run someone over. This is not good. <laughs> so um, it's just been, it's been a journey and it's so hard to kind of pinpoint one thing that's happening to me in the here and the now uh, that I can really say, this is, this is it. This is what's showing up, but really overall, it's my mindset and really having to work through that and really like the renewing of my mind and really just asking God to like strip everything and give me that heart and that mind, almost like that childlike um, type mentality to approach these things more of like pure, like clean, instead of having these tainted lenses. Cause every time trauma happens, it's like our lenses of life get distorted every time they get dirtier, they get cracked, they get all of these things. So being able to see clearly, like you were talking about earlier, Kofi, to be able to see clearly what's really going on, our life is distorted because of the trauma that we have in front of us. So it's becoming, you know, um, it's those overly emotional moments or those, those moments where we completely shut down, uh, where we should have emotions and we're like non-emotional. So it can kind of go both ways and everybody's trauma shows up differently. But um, 
I would say that it shows up definitely in how I see myself still and how I have expectations that I need to be perfect in my marriage, that perfection equals love for me. And that goes way back in the day. I could get into all of that, um, but I will let other people talk, but really being connected with myself and relieving those expectations that, hey, just because I had to be this way or look this way or act this way, doesn't mean I have to do that now. I need to stop bringing that into my new stuff. Um, and working on cleaning those lenses up a little bit. But yeah, so I will let other people chime in because I could talk about this all day. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I, I just want to, uh, before I get into it, say that I am um, 19 weeks pregnant, so I'm running out of breath really fast. <laughs> so <laughs> just letting you know. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, I, I actually didn't realize that I had trauma or um, didn't use the word, didn't understand the word until I got married. Um, and in, in hindsight, I recognize it as being emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, um, and mental abuse, all but physical, right? So that's part of the reason why I didn't recognize it until I was not just older, but also in a different setting where my norm was just completely different. Um, so a lot of my triggers just showed up in um, recognizing some similarities between my husband and my father. It's really funny. I'm writing a book about it right now, not just about trauma, but about marriage and how uh, and like the newlywed marriage, not like the, I know everything about marriage. <laughs> um, but I really feel like uh, the Lord led me into marriage to work out the trauma because had I stayed in the, in the environment and in the condition that I was used to, um, I don't think anything would have really challenged me enough to show me that my responses were actually uh, unusual or that I even had the, um, the, uh, a certain type of seed in me to respond a certain way. Because when I got married, you know, the first six months were kind of like, oh, we're not even married. We're still like, we're dating still. But, um, after, especially after I got pregnant and, um, like hormones are changing for the for the first time with my first uh, son uh, three years ago, four years ago. Um, I noticed that there were certain things that Jermaine would say in his New Jersey kind of, you know, way. And I'm from Louisiana. So we're nice. Even if we lying, we're nice. Okay. So if you don't sound nice, you want to fight. You know, so there were some things that Jermaine would say, like, I, I remember if I didn't hear him say something and uh, or or if we like didn't hear each other, he would say what trying to hear what I'm saying. But I didn't like how he said what. So, you know, I would do the little duck thing where you spread your legs, shoulder width apart and you like lean to the side like. <laughs> like, is this where the story changes? And, you know, so I noticed that um, it's just started happening, happening more frequently where my first mind was, 
all right, it's time to fight. Like, this is where we are. And I didn't see violence in my um, childhood, but I felt so threatened by just everyday things, things that could be communicated about. And I internalized so much that I felt legitimately afraid to say. Um, and that's how I knew. The way, I mean, at first I was saying, okay, I'm crazy. And, and that's what it is, I'm crazy. But then after a while, I started to understand, well, this is trauma. Like, it's not that I'm just crazy. There's a root to everything that I'm feeling and everything I'm experiencing. I'm responding because of this. I'm responding because of that. And it's still something that um, now I have to, when I hear certain things, I have to remind myself that uh, the illusion that I have been in for like the past five years in marriage were, was just an illusion. And now I actually need to learn my husband for who he is because who I thought he was for the first three and a half or four years of marriage was so heavily filtered by uh, images of images and experiences with my dad. So that's kind of big picture of my experience with trauma. Um, so I guess mine would be more familial. Um, as a child, you know, um, growing up, you're told that a child needs to stay in a child's place. Um, so speaking your mind as a kid or letting others know how you feel, whether you were mad, angry, sad, was just unheard of. It was either it's my way or whatever, or you got in trouble, basically. So I guess now when I got older, I just had no filter where I just would say whatever it was that I felt like saying, Kofi, don't shake your head. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just like, I'll just say whatever and whenever because I felt like as a kid, I had, I was reduced so much to where I couldn't say anything or have my own thoughts that it kind of felt like freedom. So now, um, being like that, I'm sure I've hurt some people with some of the stuff that I've said in the past. And I don't know how, I guess I'm still learning how to think before I actually say things. Because um, everything that I say can come out sarcastic. And I'm realizing that being a supervisor now, um, and people talk to me and I just shoot out the first thing and then I'd be like, oh yeah, I probably could have handled that differently or said something else. But I, I don't know. I always looked at it as me walking in my freedom, but no, it's, it's sometimes it can be real, real cutthroat. And, I, and I'm still trying to break away from that. Like JV, you are allowed to have feelings. You are allowed to share how you feel. Other people are not really required to accept or acknowledge the way you feel but it doesn't change from the fact that you actually have a voice and you actually have feelings and so now that I'm older um I'm actually able to understand what triggers me and so before some sometimes before I respond I'll be like oh yeah that's a trigger like no we should not have this conversation because that's a trigger for me and so I'm starting to notice my triggers now and then when I talk to Kofi a lot, so I notice when, uh, yeah, when my temper be sharp, just a little tad bit, and then he'll let me know, and I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, my bad, like, 
I don't mean to be that way. It's just your first instinct is to run to that to that place of safety. And so it can be hard when you realize that you're in good hands or that there are people who actually listen to you. Um, and it can take a while. So yeah, that's all. Um, I would have to say that mine is uh, familiar also. Um, and mine actually has to deal with my mom and my sister um, for two different reasons. Um, so uh, when it comes to my mom, uh, when it comes to my, sorry, my sister, my sister and my mom um, used to get into it a lot when we were kids, um, even to the point where like the cops would come, right? And so there's even a couple of times where like I packed a bag for my brother and myself. My brother was, was seven years younger than I am. So I'd pack a bag for the both of us and it'd be like one o'clock in the morning and we walk into my friend's house and they were like, yo, what you doing here? I'm like, well, you know, the cops at my house, you know what I'm saying? And so uh, because of all of those things, um, my sister still has a tendency to, to make, to still have those kind of aggressions. Um, and I'm, I'm one of those people where, um, where I, growing up, I had a lot of anger issues for several reasons, but I'm pretty controlled. You know what I'm saying? I don't ask my wife, you know, I don't really lose my, my cool often. I'm more, I'm more prone to internalize and shut down than I am to explode and, and lose my cool. I don't do that. Um, and I don't, um, I don't like doing that, but my sister's one of those people that can pull it out of me almost immediately. Um, and I think uh, I wrote some things down. I was like, whenever my, I'm getting together with my sister, I plan escapes. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, well, we're together. All right, I gotta make sure I drive my own car because I need to be able to leave when I'm ready. Um, I realized that there's a predisposition to anger. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm automatically, I, I'm already found myself getting mad and nothing's even happened or being defensive uh, or, or short-term stays by means of, protect, of prevention. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, y'all can come over, but only for the weekend. You know what I'm saying? Or I'll go to Georgia, you know what I'm saying? But only for a day or two, you know what I'm saying? I won't stay long because I, I have this, fe this innate fear that if I stay long enough, my mom and my sister are going to get into some kind of altercation. And I'm, I mean, I'm only 5'9", but my, my sister is 5'2". You know what I'm saying? My sister's 5'2". I used to fight a lot growing up. You know how your kids, but there comes a point where like my sister's begins to be more fe effeminate, you know what I'm saying? More effeminate, more dainty. And I get older, you know, you become more, more masculine, you become stronger and those things. And I know that I can't get into no physical altercation with num number one, not with women at all, but especially not with my sister, you know what I'm saying? And I have that fear that she's going to cause me to blow my top and we're going to, you know what I'm saying? She's going to be getting into it with my mom because there have still been ex uh, instances as, as adults where that has still happened, you know what I'm saying? And so Whenever she's there, I'm on edge. Like I shake. Like I, I, I realized that it wasn't until one of my best friends was going to therapy for some of the same reasons, except as his brother and my sister. And he's explaining to us some of the things that's going on. I'm like, yo, you really going to therapy? Like I'm going to therapy through you because like those are the same exact experiences and trying to learn forgiveness without, you know, without reconciliation and some of these different stuff. It's been it's been pretty tough. And so I love her to death. You know, it's her birthday yesterday, and um. Uh, and she's a really sweet girl, which is crazy, but what she has, I know she has this other side and I, I don't fear her other side because I don't fear her. I fear the altercation that could happen while I'm there. You know what I'm saying? And I don't, it's just, it's messy. With my mom, my mom is a Jamaican New Yorker, you know what I'm saying? And so my mom grew up, she had a, a pretty rough um, life, um, you know, with uh, uh, my father, uh, my sibling's father, and just life has kind of dealt with some hands, but that's caused her to be kind of cold. Um, and because of that, uh, my mom is very good at doing things like downplaying your circumstances. She's good at aggressive responses. 
Um, she's good at disregarding your emotions um, and inability to speak to you in a proper tone. You know what I'm saying? And so a lot of that stuff, like I found myself um, as a, now as an adult, like Javier was saying, I'm, I'm very pushed back. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, I'll tell her, like, if you're going to talk to me like that, I'm not going to call you. You know what I'm saying? And just different stuff. And, uh, and like just something, something silly that happened the other day. Um, she, um, I finally got my credit score up to 700 y'all finally got it to 700. It was 525 before quarantine got up to 700, worked really hard. And she was talking, we were talking about something and something had impacted my credit. And I was like, man, I don't want to drop back down. Like, you know what I'm saying? And she was just kind of like, it's not that big of a deal. Stop freaking out. Right. And I'm like, I'm not freaking out. I worked really hard to get my credit score where it's at. I'm going to protect it. You know what I'm saying? But that's a small instance of something that she does all the time. And I'll have to say, no, it's a big deal to me. No, it's a big deal to me. No, it's a big deal to me. And I've seen how that's beginning to translate into my marriage. Right. Because um, because of that, I have to uh, I have to explain tone to my wife and how, you know, what I'm saying, I'm, you know, I don't like that kind of tone it reminds me of my mom you know what i'm saying or making a big deal out of having out of having manners and i mean kofi jay y'all know my wife some and you know she's a sweetheart you know what i'm saying uh but just out of manners and apologizing um well, that's a big thing is because my mom did not do that still does not do it um but instead of saying sorry you know she'll do little things to try to like make it better or whatever but i'll tell my mom my, my wife i'll be like yo that i'll be like ow that hurt you know and she'll be like no it didn't and that's not that big of a deal, but it triggers me because my mom did stuff like that. And I'm like, if I told you that it hurt me, your response should be, I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? So I try not to like push all that back on my wife because that's not her fault. You know what I'm saying? And recognizing those things, I try not to let them become like a big deal. But I didn't realize that like, even though I'm 30 years old, I got a wife, I got a child, I'm in a, I got my, a, a career, all this other stuff. Like those are still some things that I find them really causing me to kind of get out of my element and and, and cause a, a character change. And so whenever they're around, I try to really um, prepare myself for those things and I'm not always successful. And so um, there's like one, I'll share this and then I'll, I'll shut up. But um, there's the very, not the last time, but the time before that, my sister came over to my house. Um, she came, her, my mom, she came to my house and my sister was at my house for 15 seconds, 15 seconds. And we already got into it. You know what I'm saying? And I had to be like, well, this is my house. If you don't like it, you can get out. You know what I'm saying? Kind of thing. And I'm just kind of like, dang, like, how do you, how do you cause someone to become that unglued that fast? Someone who I really consider myself um, composed and very, you know, I don't like to raise my voice to people except Kofi when he's wilding out. You know what I'm saying? Other than that, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm really trying to keep myself collected and, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, you know what I'm saying? So I really try to practice what I preach and, and all these other stuff, but she can really pull it out of me. And so those were two things that really I still struggle with from, uh, and I realize that those are very uh, traumatic things that I'm still working through today. Awesome. 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 Y'all picking on me today, <laughs> but uh, thank you guys for sharing that. Like for me, <clears throat> I have, I would say familial, and maybe some romantic, um, and even some, you know, with them, with uh, working on the job, but on the familial side, I know some of you are already aware, I've shared this before, of uh, how things were with my dad, but there's a lot more that uh, I, I deal with on the family side, where it kind of, it really did contribute to how I am today, where it's like, I'm better, I feel a lot of times that I'm better off by myself, where, like, when I would get involved with certain things, like, I really didn't have a lot of support. Um, 
like when I was in an orchestra or when I played basketball or whatever, even when I coached for like nine years, like I really didn't, I, I can count on one hand how many times people came to support me. And so out of all that, all that time, I just like, you know what? I don't need anybody there. Is that to came to a point to where I didn't want anybody there because I was so used to just being by myself. And so that's really contributed to just where I'm just like, whatever, you know, like if I'm by myself, I'm by myself. I, I just, you know, I don't really need people. That's kind of the attitude I adopted because like I wanted people there because I like to get people involved. I like to, you know, um, I like to share. But after a while, I was just like, you know what? I don't care. I mean, a part of me still does want to share things, but it's like, I'm okay when I'm by myself. And I don't want to be like that because like, I know everybody got things going on or whatever, but it's just like, I, I know that maybe it wasn't intentional, but at the same time, it's like, I have to worry. I have to get through the mindset is that, that uh, I have to start embracing community and not just like, you know, I'm better off by myself. Cause that's how I've always been. Um, even like, I guess you can say to an extent that it's, there's a lot of, uh, feelings of abandonment there because of, you know, like I said, with how things were with my father and then it's like not really getting a lot of support. So I think that's one of the things that I really deal with, uh, that I do struggle with for sure. Um, and it's like, I noticed that too, when we were talking in the last episode, it's like, I, I do have a lot of issues there that I need to get resolved. So, and, you know, so Zave, um, Connie, Nez, you guys are professionals in this arena. So hearing all the stories that you heard, you know, what would, what would your advice be to uh, anyone out there, even one of us who are currently dealing with trauma? Like how could we resolve that to avoid reproducing after our own kind? One of the things I would say up front is that your emotions are valid. I think in a lot of different circumstances, um, we've, the feelings have been, your feelings, our feelings have been invalidated in some way, shape or form, or that wouldn't be, it wouldn't be traumatic, right? In order for something to happen to extend uh, to, the, to the kind of the category of being trauma, which means the way that you feel in a, in a, in a natural altercation or circumstances or something that we're talking about in school right now called the injustice gap. Right when someone has done something to you, um, and you're kind of explaining, okay, this is what you've done, and it's not being able to be uh, to allow to feel the way that you're supposed to feel in a normal circumstance like this. Uh, your feelings, um, your feelings are valid, um, and it's okay to uh, to explore those and find healthy ways uh, to explore those and express those emotions, uh, because if not, they turn into unforgiveness and bitterness and unfortunately unforgiveness and bitterness ends up hurting us more than it ends up hurting the person that we're expressing it toward. Usually someone that's that you're bitter against, they don't even realize number one, that they're hurting you or they don't care. And they're still being able to sleep at night just fine while you're fuming or your idle moments are filled with, you know, and it's just, it's just not worth it. A big part of forgiveness and reconciliation is not even for the person, it's for you. You know what I'm saying? But that can't happen unless you're able to be honest with yourself be transparent with your emotions um, and be willing to share your emotions. And I even shared something on Twitter just yesterday. We got to get into the habit of stop downplaying the way that people feel when they express their troubles and they express how they feel um, because 
um, I'm, I'm actually a published author and I wrote a book called um, Braille, A Practical Approach to Working with Teens. And one of the chapters in my book is called Sippy Cup or Chalice. And the premise behind it is that whether it's in a, whether you put water in a sippy cup or whether you put it in a giant gauntlet, it's still water. You know what I'm saying? Those, experience are, those experiences are real to that person. So you're allowed to feel those emotions. And a lot of times what I've learned is when someone has a, uh, whenever someone has a tendency to always talk about their issues, that means that they're not getting enough, enough chances to outwardly process. And because of that, whoever will give them an ear, they'll share it. You know what I'm saying? Because they haven't had the proper uh, mechanisms in place to be able to share those things. And so if, if you are finding yourself in a place where you are emotionally distraught and this event, or you've identified that this is trauma, it's okay to express your emotions and find healthy ways to express those. Even if that means journaling or talking to a friend or seeing a therapist, you know, whatever it means for you to explore those things, because once they become rooted, they are very difficult um, to deal with. And I'm sure um, that our ladies here are going to have some great things to share as well on that topic. I love that um, Pastor Zave, you touched on forgiveness because one of the things that we um, really have to dig into, especially in deliverance ministry is that uh, forgiveness is cru uh, critical for freedom. I know there are some people who don't think you need to forgive in order to be free, but it is that very reason um, of forgiveness being for you. And one of the things I like to share is that forgiveness is an illusion of justice. It's not actual justice. So the idea for, for healing is that you give yourself justice. You allow yourself to receive justice. Um, and with the work that I do, I like to think about the, um, I don't know if I could call it the dichotomy of humanity and uh, being just a person of faith, but a lot of times uh, religion infringes on a person's like justice and ability to receive justice. Um, and if we think about it from a, 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 a doctrinal state uh, or stance, we know that what Jesus gives us is justice, whereas religion gives us condemnation, right? But when I think about justice in this sense, I mean, um, not having to be silenced in the sight of your pain. And so I think it connects to what uh, Pastor Zave said in that with healing and trauma and triggers, what we tend to do is silence ourselves because we have been silenced. And so finding that door to no longer be silenced about it and then allowing yourself to find a voice that's not filtered through that, that trauma. So you're going to you're going to lash out a couple of times, okay? So, and then religion will tell you, don't do that, right? But the humanity and even the, um, the opportunity that we have to be processed through this flesh is to learn. And so uh, removing, I think a lot of the, I, just a lot of the work that uh, I do is removing that layer of condemnation from the process of healing. Uh, we condemn ourselves uh, sometimes for being in a position to be traumatized, especially if it's sexual in nature, um, but removing condemnation uh, from ourselves for whatever we've experienced and then removing condemnation from whatever that process looks like to uh, get to a point of, of healing and health. Um, when I think about salvation, that's what it is. We, we start out with a sick soul. Um, the first book 
second book that I wrote that's actually connected to my organization is called Heart Sick. And when we think about uh, the sickness of the heart and the sickness of the soul, it's really not just about what you do, doing right and doing wrong, but it's about how deep sin nature goes to literally uh, distort how we experience things to where we don't have the capacity to respond to it in a way that's supposed to be holy and righteous. So how about we just not expect that from ourselves off the rip without the support of the God that we believe that, <laughs> that we say we believe in and just kind of live, live through it, process through it um, and learn whatever you need to learn to take those steps toward a healthier you. You really don't know what healing or health feels like until you get there. And I think a lot of um, what people, especially in the faith, do is they put on a show, a charade of what uh, what I'm supposed to look like, even though I'm hurting. So just taking that that off first and foremost, and um, allowing ourselves to see what uh, opportunity that even if people don't give us opportunity to heal, Jesus has, has given us an opportunity to heal. He's given us an opportunity to be delivered and set free and then unlearn and relearn, which is, is of great, why uh, therapy is of great importance because you, know, you don't know what you don't know. And, and sometimes it's gonna take a professional to tell you that's what that is. And now you can get in on your own healing process and start giving yourself justice in that very practical way. Conscious Core, you are spot on. I was just having this conversation with Kofi two days ago when I was telling him about this, uh, this girl that works for me and the manipulation and the stuff that she does that gets to my core. And I'm like, I just want justice because I, as a supervisor, I can't say what I really want to say without possibly getting in trouble for it. There's an image that we have to uphold, but it's like, when you keep poking the bear, that bear is going to attack. And I told him, I said, Kofi was like, I'm so proud of you and your, your, your integrity. And I'm like, but I don't want to show integrity right now. I, I want to be angry. I want to yeah, I want to lash out. I want her to feel the anger that I have towards her. And then I'm like, but I also know that I say I follow Jesus and I love God and some stuff I just have to just just let it go and tone down. And But yeah, I, I just be wanting to lash out sometimes. So thank you for that. Connie, I think what you were saying in regards to just religion was so powerful. So I have, just to kind of get some backstory, I have a ton of notes, but um, I have not been active with the church in years. And I literally this year, so I have been in my healing process with God, but totally different. I like to, I guess I see myself a little bit more hippy dippy um, than than religious. I don't connect with that anymore, but really just coming to God and asking him to strip all of that religious crud off and allowing me to see God and be like, Hey God, um, I'm upset. And not only am I upset, but I'm not really liking you right now either, <laughs> you know? So let's go through this process. I know you're here. You've been, I've seen things 
I've seen you do things for me enough in my life to know that you do exist, but I'm not down with all this religious stuff because I feel that religion has contributed to the mentality that I had and it supported me in my abuse. So I didn't know, and as crazy as it sounds, I didn't know that sex was consensual within a marriage. I didn't know there were so many things like I felt that I was now my husband's and whatever he wanted, that's the done deal. It is what it is. So I felt like religion contributed to that mindset. And then on top of that, the, the abuse and things that I experience when I was younger and then living in an interdependent culture where it's never about me. It's always about we and never taking into consideration my own feelings. It's always everybody else. How is everybody else doing? If everyone else is good, then I'm good. And that totally breeds uh, codependency, people pleasing type mentalities. It's such a hot mess. Like it just is craziness, right? So I think it's so powerful for those of us that have that relationship with God to know that religion and the way things are, are taught sometimes is very limiting. It really limits God. Like we put God in these four walls of a church or religion or whatever he's supposed to look like. And he's so much bigger than that. And so I, anybody listening, I just really challenge if you're kind of just thrown off with the church, you're not alone, but really still seeking God out. And my prayer is legit, like God strip the crap and let me see who you are because this isn't matching up what I've learned and what I read in the Bible, like we're to be Christ-like, right? Yo, Jesus Christ got mad. He threw tables. Hello. Even when he was on the cross, I'm, I can't quote what he said, but he still was able to verbalize that this sucks, God. And if there's any other way that we can do this, let's do it. He still honored himself with being able to communicate that. Whereas most of us, because of the trauma and the things that we endure, we keep our mouth shut. Jesus didn't keep his mouth shut. He expressed how he felt he told people like, oh yeah, you're going to deceive me soon, but before then let's eat, <laughs> you know, like it's so wild. These are the things that are not taught. Like there's, there's so I can go on forever with this, but that's so powerful. So what you were saying totally resonated with where I'm at. And I just wanted to express those things. If anybody else is experiencing this, like church just isn't connecting with you religion, but you know, there's a God, like I challenge you to really just ask God to strip all of that and to seek him out solely for who he is. Um, and one of the things transitioning back to the whole trauma topic. So trauma, a lot of the times when I get clients, they're just like, I should be over this. And I'm like, Okay, so first of all, trauma will actually change our physiological being, changes the way we think, we see things, the way we feel. Our body can hold on to trauma as well. So trauma literally impacts everything about us. And then here we are, we have the audacity to say, hey, it's been a year, I should be over this. And it's like, a, a, that would be great, right? It doesn't work that way. Especially the younger we are when that trauma happens, it will actually, our brain is still forming, right? So it will cause that subconscious brain to actually map out in certain ways. The way we think, the way we do things will be based off of the trauma that we endured because we are trying to keep ourselves in a safe place. So maybe that is, um, you know, yelling at people or, or speaking your 
your truth all the time, you know, because if I get if I could tell them first, then I'm the winner, hands down, you know, or if I if I shut down and then I explode, I mean, there's so many things that we do that we develop to try and keep us safe from the things that we've endured. So it impacts us year after year after year. And then for us to come and say, hey, I should be over this. Like I ask my clients to really release the expectation of how their healing is supposed to look like and the amount of time it's supposed to take. The majority of us don't really notice our childhood trauma until we're like in our thirties, honestly. So if we've been reliving this trauma, which most of us do, if we've had trauma when we were younger, there's a high chance that we've re-traumatized over and over. We've lived in this trauma all these years. It's going to take some time. So always giving ourselves time to re to, or release those expectations of what it looks like. Cause you're going to have some highs. You're going to feel really good. You're going to have some lows. You're going to cry and snot's going to be flying everywhere. You want to beat people up. There's, it's a roller coaster. And when it's really good, just ride that wave. And when something new comes forward, don't approach yourself with condemnation, right? It's curiosity and like, hmm, okay, maybe this is the next step that I need to take. Um, but that is one of the biggest things that I would say is like, no expectation, release yourself of that and give yourself to uh, permission or ask God to reveal, right? So you can feel, deal and heal, right? And to be able to work these things forward, being able to communicate how you feel is going to be huge, reconnecting um, because oftentimes, and this is the last thing I'll share so we can have everybody else talk, but we have to think that every time we have trauma and we hold on to it, it's like a door, right? The door shuts then that door is never, that room is never catered to. So it becomes detached. Then we have all these other times that we've traumatized and it becomes detached. And then that, then we start to wonder why we feel like our emotions and our thoughts are all over the place because we have a part of us that's over here that the door is shut. We have another part over here in the door shut. And what we need to do is we need to open those doors and bring all of us together the good, bad, and the ugly, so we can start functioning as one. So we don't have this version of ourselves over here that's trying to keep ourselves safe and doing whatever. And then this version of us over here for me, like really likes partying and drinking and being a little wild, you know, I have to keep all these versions of me as one. Like these, these parts of me that I've disconnected are still a part of me. I cannot heal those parts of me if I'm ignoring them. It doesn't work that way. So we have to realize that we're a mess, accept it, love ourselves through the journey and uh, no expectations of what that looks like and allowing God to do what he needs to. And it's not always fun, but it's worth it because peace, right? Peace is like, it's so ridiculous. Once you have it, you don't want anybody to ruin it. So anyways. Isn't it crazy how in order for us to heal, we have to be vulnerable? We have to be weak, so to speak. Like, isn't that scary? Because, like, our instincts is to protect ourselves, self-preservation. But in order for us to overcome a lot of the trauma uh, that we've endured growing up <clears throat> or even in our adulthood, in order for us to actually be free and stronger is we have to uh, be vulnerable. Um, 
that is that's that's a very profound thing as uh, you guys were talking and as we you know say sharing things with therapists stuff like that it requires us to open up and to trust somebody that they won't uh, add on to our pain um and so I just yeah I don't know that just really it, it, I know there's a biblical principle in that to where it says something like uh, you know, confess your faults, you know, confess, you know, if you have something going on, confess, talk about it, but we don't, we don't want to do that. And I think it's something um, exposing our vulnerabilities will actually truly help us grow. You know, Kofi and uh, um, Ned, something that you shared that really caused me to think about something. Um, I'm working on my master's in clinical mental health therapy. I'm almost done. Um, but one of my favorite things that is actually that I don't find is very popular amongst a lot of people is what's called exposure therapy. All right, and exposure therapy is a, um, is a counseling intervention that says one of the best ways for you to deal with your emotions is to put yourself in a place where you have to, where you have to face it. Uh, what if exposure therapy meant ex exposing ourselves to ourselves, right? And as I wrote this down on, on my notes just now, and you said, uh, you said, connect the parts that you have disconnected. We can't heal the parts of us that we have locked away. And imagine, like, if we would expose ourselves to the parts that we're afraid to face. You know what I'm saying? That we may be able to find the kind of healing that we need. Because I think sometimes we look for healing from an external standpoint or that it's, uh, that it's outside of us. And a lot of times, like, I'm of the mindset, because, you know, as you become a therapist, you kind of start to develop your, your therapeutic um, interventions and you might identify as CBT or one of my friends is individual psychology and all these different stuff. But uh, I, I'm, of, I'm of the camp that I believe that as a therapist, my job is to help the client, guide that client along to the answers that they already have, right? Um, it might be difficult for you to, for them to find it, but it's not my job to fix you. I, I believe that it's you being able to just have someone to hold your hand as you explore the different hurts and the different pains. And as you, and I wrote it down um, and um, I, I wrote it down here. You probably can't see it because of the screen, but I underlined it, exposure therapy, right under your comment, uh, Nez, because I'm like, man, it, exposing yourself and not locking those parts away, but being brave enough, which is scary, right? to face those things is a huge, 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 uh, a huge, huge deal. And um, I really, I really appreciated that. And as that, that resonated with me and conscious something that you said real quick, Kofi, I'm sorry. I just didn't want to forget. I wrote this down here. You said, um, you said removing the layer of condemnation in the process of healing. I thought that was such a beautiful statement. That's such a beautiful statement. Y'all are so wise. I love it. Thank you so much for that. I'm just so excited because I just watched uh, Inside Out for the second time yesterday. I love this movie. I, wa I, I watched the movie and I'm like, ah, yes. And everybody else is always like acting like the movie isn't on. But <laughs> if um, <laughs> if you if you're listening to um, what uh, Nell, I'm saying that right? Nell? Nell? Nell's are Nez. You could call me Nez. Nez, got it. If you're listening to a Nez and um, Pastor Zave and Kofi are saying, and you're kind of like, how does that work? You should watch Inside Out. It's not, it's it's animated. It's fun. You can watch it with your kids if you have kids. Um, watch it because it 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 really shows um, how specifically the role of sadness, but also the role of anger, the role of anxiety, and the fact that uh, joy does not solve everything. Like there's this idea of uh, toxic positivity that is now coming out uh, in the sense of, you know, um, the, the advice that people like to give is uh, 
I can't pick just one, but just this, this idea that, um, you know, you're not what happened to you. It's all about how you think about it, you know, as if people should think about their situation and in some, some way that is correct, but the way that it's being given is like, you should think about it in a more positive light and then it won't affect you as much. And, and the fact of the matter is that that is not true. You're actually uh, oppressing yourself. You're being oppressed by suppressing those emotions. So that was like one of the things I wanted to say, watch inside out and like, if nobody else is watching, just ignore them, <laughs> just watch it. <laughs> um, and I, I'm gonna say this really quickly. Um, there, there. First, I want to say it, it makes sense the way trauma develops because it's really, uh, you know, your first experience with something. If you're not prepared to handle it well, then you you internalize that you either were unsuccessful with it or you leave with a memory of just not being successful with it. And so, what do a lot of people do? when they uh, experience something lacking success, I'm not gonna do that again. I'm not gonna let that happen again. And so what's so powerful about healing is that um, healing is actually just learning. But the fear of not being successful, the fear of getting hurt again, the fear of not handling it well, is what stops us from entering into the same environment or circumstance but when you have the tools that you need to try to like learn how to do it and you're gonna you're not gonna get it right the second time it happens you're not gonna get it right the third time the first 15 times that uh, a trigger occurs we get it wrong and so by the 16th time we're like I can't do it so those who enter into therapy or or, or even just um enter communities with a uh, sound biblical wisdom uh wise friendships, solid friendships, you start to learn, okay, I can do this differently. And, and now it's like physical therapy. When an injury, a physical injury hits your body, like let's say you break an ankle or, or uh, pop a knee or something, you naturally, you don't want to walk on it because it hurts. But if you go into physical therapy, you will be led to put a tiny bit of pressure on that injury because you need to see that you can use that leg again. So I'm really excited. <laughs> Let me calm down. <laughs> I'm excited too. That's why I'm like, oh, I have so many things to share. <laughs> I just, one more thing, one more thing. The scripture yeah. that I thought Kofi was going to say was that, uh, that scripture where Paul is saying, he's talking about a thorn in his flesh. And I think sometimes we're like, what is the thorn? What is the thorn? I don't think that the thorn was sin. Some people think it's sin. I don't think that the thorn was sin. The Bible says it was a messenger from Satan that came to him three times. And it was as a thorn in his flesh. And the thing about weakness, the Lord says, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So what we tend to do is we shun the weakness. And that is the exact opposite of what we need to do in order to see the glory that is in healing or the glory that is in, in going through a healing process with the Lord. And not everybody who is maybe listening to this podcast is like, you know, into God and stuff. And that's fine. But I think that, you know, the fact that we are humans, no matter what you believe, at your at your essence as your core you are a spiritual being there's a spiritual makeup there um which is why you can be spiritual and believe all kinds of things uh one thing that's going to be common to humanity is that weakness is is actually a place where we can tap into some sort of strength 
And there is uh, the illusion of strength where people are like angry in there, you know, all of that, right? But we're talking about a type of strength that um, is miraculous, that a type of strength that takes you from glory to glory. So I thought that that's what, uh, that's what you were talking about with the, the importance of acknowledging and experiencing weakness because it, it goes, it's like across the board. And the more that we try to ignore uh, our weakness, it really, it fuels arrogance. It fuels like just this, this ego where we're, we're really, we still have that weakness. We're just putting things on top of it in hopes that other people don't know that it exists. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of, and this is making fun of myself, okay? You know how we go to the gym and there's certain people that works on certain parts of their body, but then they have little, little legs, you know, like they skip leg day or whatever. But it's like, sometimes like, and then you try to work your, you know, that weak muscle out or those weak muscles out. And then it's like, you can only do a little bit of weight or whatever. And you're like sore for days. But the thing is the beautiful part about working on your weaknesses is that as you strengthen those weaknesses, you become stronger overall. But the thing that we tend to do is just like those people that go to the gym and mainly work on their upper body, they have a strong upper body, but they their legs are paper thin. Their legs are weak. And just like, so I've been looking into this stuff and like a lot of men specifically, I was actually talking to my friend at the gym today because I was doing um, deadlifts. And I'm like, one of the things that we have to do is like a lot of men neglect their glutes, right? It's like, oh, well, I don't want to need a nice butt or whatever. I don't need whatever. So, but if you have a strong core, including your glutes, you're stronger overall. Like your whole body's a lot stronger. You have better posture. And now I know a lot of us think, oh, that's a feminine thing. Like, no, work on all of that because it strengthens your, your entire body. And that's the same thing with trauma. It's the same thing with, you know, things that we deal with. If we face whatever we're dealing with, and work on those weak areas, we become a stronger person holistically. And, um, and yeah, that's, I mean, I can go on about that because I, I wrote a whole thing about spiritual fitness and equated it with being, you know, working out and stuff like that. But, and, and that's one of the things that we should do. We don't be afraid of working on your weakness because you become a better person overall. So um, I think that analogy was great, Kofi. It's so true, right? If we work like, it's like that closing of the doors, right? Those rooms that are sectioned off. How strong are we if only like we have an arm and a leg, right? <laughs> but once we start opening and watch, start working those other muscles and overall, like you said, we're gonna be strong. So that's pretty amazing. Um, but I kind of wanna piggyback on a couple of things. So that toxic positivity. So I, uh, oftentimes I have clients come to me and they'll say, oh, I'm experiencing A, B, C, and D. Cause that's one of the things that I help my clients reconnect with themselves mentally, physically, emotionally. Like, what is this doing for you? Why are you thinking this way? What are you feeling in these moments? And they'll say, oh, I felt this, but you know what? It's fine. And I shouldn't even worry about that because I have a house over my head and I have a car. And I'm just like, yeah, that's great. I'm so glad you have a house and a car, but let's not um be in a place where you are not acknowledging your feelings because when we don't acknowledge our feelings most of the time those of us that feel neglected that feel like people don't care that feel like 
we're, I don't know, we're not worthy, all these things. It's a direct correlation of what's going on in here and in our heart. So if we are disconnecting our thoughts and our emotions, that's probably what we're going to start feeling in the, in the relationships that we have around us. We're going to have people that make us feel disconnected. So in order to battle that, we have to reconnect with those feelings. You feeling crappy about a situation and being up and being grateful can coexist. They can coexist. And I don't think that people, they, it's like one or the other. Oh, I can only be mad or I can only be happy. So I'm going to choose to be happy, but they're not really happy. They're just neglecting their feelings. <laughs> so it's about knowing that positivity can connect, you know, can coexist with being upset about the neighbor, or not being nice or whatever the case may be. Like they can coexist together and giving yourself the opportunity to express that, but not deflecting. We don't want to use that positivity as a deflection, right? Um, we don't want it. We don't want to use that because it's kind of like, I'm not sure who was talking about it, but it's kind of like um, not acknowledging your feelings, watering it down. Oh, yeah, this crazy stuff is happening, but I have all this great stuff happening. Yes, that's awesome. You have great things, but there's also this negativity that's happening or your feelings are hurt. All of these things are super valid. Um, and then one thing that pastor was talking about and um, that we have the answers within ourselves, And I think this is so powerful because a lot of the times we are going outwardly to try and heal, right? We, I remember always hearing, well, take it to the altar, you know, do this, do that, tithe, whatever, right? You're trying to do all these things, but realistically, where does our Holy, the Holy Spirit, where does God reside? Within us. Why aren't we turning within? Why aren't we like looking inwardly? Rather, yes, taking it to the altar is great, but it doesn't mean that you're done. <laughs> That's like a beginning point, right? There's a process. You got to continue the process. That's just a, like an analogy almost. But if God resides within us, then why are we not teaching people to look within? I don't understand. So it's a different concept, but that is what um, I think is the most powerful thing that I've done for myself too in my journey uh, is actually not taking it to the altar. Although, you know, However, whoever thinks of those things, I don't know if I will offend anybody with that, but it's taking it inwardly, asking God, okay, God, if you reside within me, then what are we doing with this? How can I make more room for you? Because right now there's a lot of space within me that is angry, or I still hold bitterness here. And uh, how do we do this? You know, and working those things out. So those are just some tidbits I wanted to throw out there. <laughs> So it kind of, it seems like a lot of us in here to some degree have experienced some trauma uh, because of religion, right? Um, and there's a few things that uh, I do want to touch on that specifically Connie and uh, Nez had said, whereas <clears throat> you guys can vouch for this. You remember my early days on Twitter where I used to get on everybody's nerves because I was... <laughs> Because, but but wasn't wasn't I right most of the time? I was spot on a lot of times where I would challenge people to really, like you said, look within. Because a lot of us engage in performative religion, to where we think like, oh, this is uh, this is how I have to act. Like Jay and I was talking the other night, and I had her cracking up because I was sharing with her some stories about how I engage in performative religion, right? Where 
I thought this was how things were supposed to be. She's cracking up right now. But for example, right, um, I was like 18 and I was at church and you know how people like the pastor be preaching or whatever, and then people be falling out, right? So I remember one time, <laughs> one time uh, he was preaching and you know people fell out whatever. So I went up to the altar and I just laid there and I was there for like 20 minutes and I'm late, I almost fell asleep. So I'm like, when do I get up? You know what I mean? And I kind of like peeked up and I saw him looking down at me as he was preaching. I'm like, I better get up and go to my seat. So I got up and fixed myself. I just sat there. I felt so ashamed, but it was like, I was engaging in performative religion. <laughs> I was just, it's what I thought people do. And one of my most embarrassing moments, and this is when she was really cracking up. When I was in college, they invited me to go speak and promote the school. So we went to, um, two of the local high schools right <laughs> and so back then I'm like I gotta I got I can't be ashamed of the gospel y'all I need to tell these people about Jesus because somebody's about to get saved today so I'm sitting there I'm on stage and I said go ahead coffee speak I, yes Connie I did so I'm there and I'm giving my story right I'm telling people about all the things God did for me how he got me through school because I was about to drop out I'm doing it and you want to know the moment I know I lost the kids was when one girl was like, you better preach, preacher. And then in that moment, moment, I knew that I messed up. I'm like, okay, I'm doing too much, right? And so I sit back and I think about that moment with great shame. That was years ago. But I'm like, God, like my heart was in the right place. But again, this is what I was, I was performing. Because I thought, like, you know what? This is what I need to do because this is what a good Christian does. And God was like, nah, bro, you're doing too much. Like, there are times where you do share your story, but when he prompts you. But we have it in our minds and we're conditioned that we always have to go. Like, you see somebody, oh, they may die today. They might go outside and get hit by a car. So it's up to you to be uh, the evangelist and tell them about the Lord or else their, their blood going to be on your hands. So, you you know, so you, you're, you're fed that. But one of the things that I've, I did learn is that God desires truth in the inward parts. I will always say that. And once you start to realize that and grasp that, it's like, that's not me. That's not how I'm supposed to perform. God is not requiring that of me. And once you start to filter through a lot of these commands, like what Nez was saying earlier about how, um, about relationships where she thought like, well, she's her husband's and, you know, she, she doesn't have to enjoy, you know, certain things in a relationship because, you know, she's her husband's like, that's a lot of toxic teaching. I know it's rooted in what Paul said, like, you know, your husband's body is the wife's and the wife's body is the husband, whatever. But a lot of times, a lot of us, and I'm going to move on from this part, but a lot of times that we don't realize that when it says things like that, we also circumvent other areas that's built upon that teaching, right? So if a man is demanding certain things from his wife and she's not in the mood or whatever, like we have to be willing to sacrifice sometimes. And it may suck, but that's loving her as Christ loved the church because God, you know, Christ gave himself up. He relinquished some privileges, but we are in such a environment where we just are dominant and we just are very very toxic and there's a lot of teachings that we do need to be like paul with and just relearn start from scratch and like all right god teach me what i need to know i do that at least once a year 
Like God, teach me what, like, I may think I understand. I may think I grasp something, but tell me, like, am I wrong in the area? And just show me where I need to go if I got it wrong. So well, I think that, that's very, huh? That reminds me of real, real quick, if I can interject real quick. That mm -hmm. reminds me of something that, because uh, if you ask my church, I'm very against tradition for tradition's sake. Like I taught a whole series at our church called Church Etiquette. What does the Bible say and what do we actually do? Um, and just kind of unpacking a lot of the stuff that we have been taught, you know, in church and how much of it is actually in the Bible and how much of it is actually just tradition um, that doesn't have any spiritual background at all. Um, and one of the things that we talked about, um, people like to use that, that passage of scripture, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do, right? And I was like, God, but what if the foundations that I've been taught were not the right ones? You know what I'm saying? Like, what if, what if, what if I've been taught, what if, what if what's been shared with me and other people have actually caused more, uh, caused, you know, was a corridor for more toxic behavior and when, and was something that wasn't rooted in Christ at all, but in man-made humanistic traditions, those are not the same thing. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of started to, to kind of prose to people like, hey, don't call it Bible if it's not. If it's your preference, say so. But don't sit out here and call it doctrine when it's not. You know, that's an abuse of scripture. and That's heresy. Um, and just kind of really like, you know, so when you're kind of just talking about like those foundations and those things that's kind of being taught, that's something that really resonates with me uh, because I've really been trying to tactfully attack some of the things that I've grown up believing and hearing in church. You know what I'm saying? I grew up with my best friend. I'll share this real quick. I'll let you get back to it. I'm sorry, Kofi. I mean to cut you off, but my, my best friend and I, we both grew up in church. Grew up, grew, we were kids that got picked up on the church bus. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those, the church buses that would go around the city and pick the kids up. I was one of those kids. Um, I'm a bus kid. And uh, me, and my, me and my best friend, um, well, we're still best friends today. He was actually just at my house earlier uh, and, uh, yesterday, but we, uh, he's not in church anymore. We both were going to church since we were since we were since we were teenagers, and he's not even a Christian anymore. He's completely rejected his faith, right? And we both got to a crossroads where we really had to examine what we've been taught and and some of those things. And a lot of people will say, "Well, some of these people grow up and they get mad and just throw away all that they've been taught." But what if all that y'all been teaching wasn't good? You know what I'm saying? What if all that y'all been teaching wasn't good? And so what you've done is facilitated a culture of toxic behavior instead of being more like Jesus. And you can't expect us to strive on those kind of foundations. So I really had to have those talks at my church as well, just about foundations and making sure that like that the ones that you are standing on are the right ones. Uh, because I'm like, ain't nobody finna sit under me and say, well, pastor said, number one, because that's not the right answer. The Bible is the authority on the, on the word of God, not me. Um, but being able to also look at it for what it is and help us to approach our biases and our and like you said, you know, our toxic behavior and see how we can correlate that to what Christ actually wants us to be and not this, this caricature of what we thought it was supposed to be. So that's something that you just, when you just said that, it really reminded me of that. And I interjected because I'm, I hit 30. I don't know where all my sense went, you know what I'm saying? So five minutes, I'll forget it all. So, uh, but, but thanks for sharing that. For sure. For sure. Go ahead, Connie. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, add on to that because I think that what, what makes a religion so problematic is that we think that scripture is primarily a tool that we can use to govern other people, but it's primarily the tool that we use to govern ourselves. And if we're governing ourselves, then if everybody's governing themselves, then we will align perfectly with scripture, which means that if a woman does not want to have sex, because that's what we were talking about before, right, then 
uh, a woman is allotted the time to to either talk about, process, feel whatever she's feeling, but also in the back of her mind, understand that I can't use this as a weapon against my husband. So now I need to I need to talk about what I need to talk about. I need to process. I need to pray. I need to do whatever I can so that I can find myself back into the covenant and honoring the covenant with the marriage bed. And and in the same token, on the on other on the other hand, if 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 a husband is uh, allowing the scripture to help him govern himself, then he re- he remembers that the word that was given to him first is that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, which means that my first thought is to love this woman, to be patient, to be kind, and to to sincerely want to know well what is it that might be getting in the way of you wanting to be intimate with me. And I think that um, I had that same struggle uh, not long ago. I think it was always in the back of my head. Like I I have to say, it's a part of my story that I did not want to get married. That is how terrible my experience with men and specifically my father and everything that I saw about marriage. It was just like, I don't know why y'all do this. Like you're upset, but you asked for this. You look silly, you know? And so um, the fact that I even found myself married, it's like entirely a part of my testimony. I didn't get married for love. I didn't get married because I thought it was going to be this really great thing that I, I shared my life with someone. I got married because clearly the Lord wants to show me something. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and see what it is. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, one of the things that I went into marriage thinking was that uh, because some things happened to me at the hands of leaders, at the hands of, you know, parents, that it was somehow like God endorsed it. And so the traumas that I experienced, it was kind of like, well, um, God is on the side of my of my parents, because that that's just kind of what what you you learn or you you know you honor your parents because obviously they're like god like god put them there to i don't know be a little god i don't know but um i brought into marriage that um god was on the side of my either god was on the side of men i think that's what it is uh which would be synonymous with god is on the side of of the male oppressor right so no matter what my husband did that was good or what he said that was promising it was kind of like you know um i recognize i don't know you (laughs) because you know like we just got here um and i'm i'm just i'm just trying to see but as my triggers and my traumas and everything got inflamed it was like i knew it i need to take care of myself i can't trust you i can't trust god and that was like probably toward the end of covid because you know covid sent all of us through <laughs> like it's like everybody got on a train and we just went straight through trauma central you know um And so I really had to like face that. And the first thing that God reminded me was that not only was he my father, but he was a good father. And that his love for me is distinctly different from what I experienced and what I received from uh, these leaders or these, um, these figures that I sort of equated to him. It makes me think about like, I think about the stories of Hagar and of um Leah who specifically Hagar right Hagar um 
God promises Abraham and Sarah, tell me if I'm saying names wrong, Abraham and Sarah, uh, they prom- they are given the promise of a son who is Isaac. Abraham brings in Hagar. They have Ishmael. Hagar um, start acting up. You know, she wrong. She was wrong. She was um, basically dishonoring Sarah because she was able to have a child with Abraham. Tell me if I'm wrong. Put it in the chat, though. Don't embarrass me. I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, nah, I'm really playing. But but when Hagar goes into uh, the wilderness, I thought it was so interesting that God visited her and like gave her a little promise of her own. Because in my mind, Hagar was wrong. She's not even really a part of the promise equation. Abraham and Sarah did their own little human thing to try to make it happen. Why does God visit Hagar? And that's when I learned that, one, God loves women. Like he loves everybody, all right? But God loves women more than culture loves women. God loves women more than the church loves women. And so even though I experienced trauma at the hand of, um, you know, false teaching, maybe not directly from a a pastor or anything, as some may have, um, I mean, some of the, the, the very traditional misogynistic way that I was raised in my dad's house, it led me to think that maybe what he thought about submission was also what God thought about submission. But I had to learn, no, that's actually not what God thinks about things. And, and even though, you know, we experience trauma uh, at the hands of people that we trust, we almost have to trust for a very long time that they're all that we can depend on. Uh, a part of healing helped me to see that God really is not like man. And so there is hope for me if I can find my way to that well of truth and not like latch onto what I was introduced to in the context of trauma, then I can really start to see the beauty of God and receive healing in a way that he intends for me. The thing about religion is it's all about what you see, which is why people are afraid to say, hey, go inward. Because in a lot of different uh, flavors of spirituality, (laughs) going inward means uh, God is in me or I am God, right? So it's not like Jesus is living in me. It's not like the Holy Spirit is living in me and I'm going inward to meet with God, but it's more so I'm going inward to meet with my higher self. And Christians are afraid of that. So so we really go for what's tangible. I, I want to see somebody fall out in order to know that they actually got saved. You know, I want to hear somebody scream in order to know that they actually got delivered. So that was just some things that popped up in my head as you guys were talking. Uh, there is a couple of things you said <clears throat> that I do want to uh, address that were really, really good. Um, I think that one of the things that we do is we are especially as men, we do try to control people using the Bible. Um, And a lot of times people do see that uh, or perceive that, well, because this person is acting this way, God must approve, right? We've heard so many times where people say, well, the Bible says this, so God must approve that. And then I saw a post the other day, and I'm like, that's really good, where somebody says, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God approves of it. And I'm like, you know, and... And a perfect example is when you had mentioned Hagar, right? And you said you were surprised that God went and visited her. I mean, he may not have approved of what happened, but God is a good father. 
and he cares about everyone. So he went and he said, you know what? You may have been in the wrong, but I got you. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to make, you know, make lemonade out of these, these lemons. I'm going to make a good thing out of this bad situation. And God does that. And he does that continuously. But we have, we, but that's the, the problem is we don't really understand God. We probably never fully will. But we also don't comprehend the text, right? We just say, oh, well, the Bible says this, and we just run along with it. But there's so many layers. There's so much more to the story. And just because, again, it's in the Bible doesn't mean God approves of it. Like polygamy. Oh, well, he let Abraham and him do it. It doesn't mean that he was okay with it, you know, but I don't know. I think that's something that we have to learn how to do is distinguish what's of God and what's not. And just like when people say they don't go to church because of the Christians or whatever, but it's like, because they feel like certain Christians, uh, they, what's the word I'm looking for? They promote God in a certain way, basically. You know, they represent God, represent God a certain way. And that's why I say we gotta be better ambassadors. Said, so, but it's just, yeah, we have a lot, a lot of our actions, we have to be mindful of how we go out in the world and uh, interact with people because we do inadvertently cause trauma sometimes. And we may mean well, but sometimes we just need to shut up. I think one more thing to the trauma piece, um, develop the habit of being confrontational develop the habit of being confrontational um okay be, <laughs> be willing to stick up for yourself because sometimes nobody else is going to you know what i'm saying and like i'll tell people all the time you know i tell people all the time i'm um, at our church i say um you want to be able to turn the other cheek but you don't want to be a doormat you know what i'm saying you want to be able to turn the other cheek but, but if somebody if somebody if somebody has hurt you be you know don't internalize it be willing to share who it is and if if it's something where if that person genuinely cares about you they'll be willing to work th work through that with you and seek reconciliation and if not you might have to shake the, the, the dust off your feet and keep it pushing you know what i'm saying because i'm learning i'm not for cancel culture but i'm also not for people that's going to be abusive in my life you know what i'm saying whether that be physically emotionally spiritually mentally you, nobody needs that no one deserves that you know what I'm saying? So begin the habit, especially y'all introverts out there, get in the habit of being confrontational. It's not worth it. It's not worth it for your own mental, physical being, emotional being. Um, they're, they're, they're all interconnected. And uh, like I, it was Nez that was talking about how trauma has physiological, was it Nez? That was, or was it, uh, yes, that had, there are physiological changes that can happen to your body because of trauma. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Uh, scripturally, the Bible says um, that a sorrowful spirit dries the bones you know what i'm saying a merry heart does good like a medicine but a sorrowful spirit dries the bones me and my mental health mindset i'm like yo that's a that's the, that's the bible letting us know that there's a direct correlation between your physical health and your emotional and spiritual health there's a direct connection and so don't hold on to that stuff you know what i'm saying i'm really still chewing on uh, on unlocking those parts because i think we really still do have things sometimes in our lives that we're afraid to face me personally that was one of my favorite things that we took away from that is uh let it all out face it for what it is so uh, uh i appreciate being on this panel with y'all tonight it was a it was a blessing to me personally Yes, thank you for allowing the space and just giving us the opportunity to talk about all this. I personally think that we need a part two. <laughs> hey, if y'all, if y'all willing to come back and I have my stuff together, we'll do it. I never feel like I'm prepared for these kinds of conversations, but then when they start, I'm like, oh. <laughs> so if 
uh, I'll be here if you do it, and I'm sure the words will come. <laughs> okay, yeah, we can schedule a part two. I just want to say we got a lot of apostles and prophets on this line right now. <laughs> this has been awesome. I got attacked like two or three times. I was like, oh, Lord, thank, thank you, Lord. See, I'm where I'm yet. God is yet working on me. Um, no, but I know I didn't say much, but I took a lot of what each of you said in because, like, man, my supervisor position is the one thing that is the hardest on me. Because workers have a union. The supervisors don't really have a union. So I can't really, like, say what I want to say. And then you know how some people, they can handle confrontation and other people be like, I'm not a confrontational person, but you create confrontation. But then you, you scream that you're not confrontational. So yeah, I, I, I still have a lot of soul searching to do. And thank each and every one of you because this has been an awesome, an awesome podcast. Thank you. And one of the things I, I do want to say, like in response to that, and possibly even something you can add to the podcast is that uh, part of what trauma does is that it gives us um, the a sort of a familiarity with environments that we have never even encountered before. So we think we know what we're walking into uh, for the worst when we, even if we've never been in that place before. So um, as a teacher, uh, for me personally, I think it's really valuable to ask questions as a leader, it's really valuable to ask questions. So even when you go into spaces where, you know, you kind of feel attacked, you kind of feel like, I don't know why you said that, but I feel threatened. I think a really good strategy can be to set aside time and ask questions. And so when we think confrontational, it might sound like uh, be willing to fight, but uh, you're fighting for yourself, but you're not necessarily engaging in, I think, an altercation. Like there's a difference between having a confrontation and an altercation. But to confront a matter with questions, I think reveals so much. And so it might be an open-ended question. What did you mean by that when you said this? That means that I have to put my trauma aside and, and, and let myself know. I actually don't know what she meant by that. I had feelings about it, but now I'm going to let those feelings kind of just sit on the side so that me and my feelings can listen to what uh, the answer to this is and then we can go from there and it can mean you have three or four questions that before you knew it your trauma caused you to jump to a conclusion but if you can find what is that what is that assumption I made and then put it in a question and ask that question very directly then as a leader now what you're doing is you're creating an opportunity for reconciliation and you're also giving yourself an opportunity to process the truth instead of responding to whatever you assume which could be a lie. I was going to ask a question and I'm like, that should probably wait for part two, but I will ask it and I will let it marinate with you guys so we can come back to it. But I, I feel like there should be a lot more we can discuss regarding confrontation, uh, how to engage in healthy confrontation. Because I know for one, there are times to where I may feel something and I may be right or could be wrong, but there are times where I feel something, but then it's like, I don't have the energy to fight. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't have the energy to really get into this right now. So I'm going to let it go. But then there are times where it just adds, it builds, it builds, it builds. But I know that I personally need to continue to find better ways to process and deal with confrontation because there are times where I may not be, may not have the energy for it, but 
I need to deal with it because if I don't, it's going to fester and then I'm going to get angrier later. So I think that's uh, for part two, we will discuss more on confrontation and how to, to proceed with that in healthy ways and to not internalize things like that. But I do want to thank you guys for giving up your time uh, on this day to give your wisdom because there is a lot of gold. There's a lot of nuggets that you guys shared. And I know there's a lot more that you want to share with everyone that's listening. But um, again, thank you for your time. And uh, I will see you guys next week. What's real can't tell it must be a secret Then to be the man to see what fantasy worth I cannot leave I gotta put the family first Ain't no sanity and vanity we know we worth And we about to break it down like the family curse Do anarchy I love enough to can it be earth We a problem we the answer it's a mantra at work You can't plan a thing until you get your hands in the dirt We demand you understand that we just cannot be hurt